the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Bill on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You're lucky, Dean. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars, as always. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you. And joining us for this week's edition of Armchair Politics, author Wesley Whitaker joins the roundtable. Wes, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Tom. Um, okay, I'm not sure who gets uh, whose turn it is to get cut off, but uh, <laughs> we're... It's all. Can, can I make one point about what we were talking about earlier? Is sure. No, no yeah. that's allowed. I wanted to hear that. I, I was reading an article about this. We, we have a problem with chips, right? The automobile right. manufacturers. Yeah. Computer are, chips. There's a company in Scottsdale, Arizona that makes chips. But the process requires a lot of water, and a lot of their overhead is purchasing water. And I'm reading that, and I'm going, why isn't somebody reaching out to them and saying, move your operation here? True. Because you, a, a chip processing operation, is it's not like, you know, Buick City. It's its something that you could easily, it would cost you some money to move the equipment and everything. But we could make a deal for a company like that, bring them here and, and create you know, two or 300 jobs and stimulate economic growth again. See, this is a kind of creative thinking that only comes out of K through 12 schools. People have never yeah, thought about there's that. No, there doesn't seem to be any vision by the people that are that we've elected to do anything other than just say, "Oh, what was us? We can't get anybody to come here." And you know, the automobile industry left. It's like being a, a woman whose husband walked out on her and saying, "Well, nobody will ever love me again." <laughs> I mean, that's just crazy. Yeah, if you yeah, we've got all these economic development, you know, directors and offices all over the place, and I would hope some of those would have <laughs> enough enough vision to, to use your term to to reach out to these kind of things. And and you're exactly right. I mean, there's some resources, particularly compared to the Southwest that we have here in the in Michigan and the Midwest that are quite substantial. That's that's really how some of the early businesses of the both the, the auto industry and the wagon business and the lumber industry got started in the years past because of the resources that were here. Wes, it would be uh, it would be really informative if you would uh, talk to the Chamber of Commerce to get that conversation going. 
Because they may not know. I just may need somebody to spread the seed. Just plant a seed there. Because we have we have 80% of the fresh water supply in the world that we're surrounded by. So we can, that's the kind of thing that we can do. And we need, we need to protect it because there and are we, people who we have the technology to do that. We have the technology to do it. We have the, the practice and records and stuff like that that shows that we can do that kind of thing. Uh, maybe you could invite somebody. Before I was cut uh, off. Tom, <laughs> yeah. maybe you could invite well, I was somebody. Thinking now, didn't, didn't Lansing successfully reach out to get the... Uh, so some some battery electric vehicle battery factories in there and uh, Flint's never seemed to get in line for those kind of things. Yeah. Well, it's and Paul, you Paul has has said this, uh, you know, several t- many times on this show and and I've seen him say it on television as well that you know the Flint City Council makes such a poor impression on people who might be in a position yeah. to invest that they pass Flint over pretty easily. Uh, that, that's, that's, I, I think I tossed off the idea that that new GM plant that's on in, in, in Burton on Davison and Genesee yeah. Roads. That was and I always wonder whether or not first. that went, whether that went there bec- rather than the old AC area because of the politics of Flint. And I don't know, but it just seemed like that would have been a logical thing to put in the old AC area, which is already an industrial area. But they, yes. they took some relatively untapped land. land out in Burton yes. because I presume they didn't want to mess with the Flint politics. Yes, I would guess that as well. Because that was the thing. There's no vision. That's why we keep electing the people that we've elected. Okay, now you. You know what? There may still be an agenda item in front of the Flint City Council about that plan. Now Wes just threw out an idea. He just gave birth to a new idea. Does that die here on the air? And it hurt. Or does, do we do we take it to someone else who has the power and authority and can create the vision and have the resources? Can we put those together? Uh, what's the next step? I mean, we need to see some of our ideas go someplace to resolute to become resolutions for a problem. Well, I would I would hope, Henry, that and and we have these conversations every week, and very often there are suggestions made uh, about how to act, how to behave, new things to try. We we talked for weeks, if not months, about. Uh, uh, in closing uh, line five in uh, another tunnel that would, you know, protect the uh, the Great Lakes from, you know, some kind of breakdown of that pipe as it ages. And, uh, you know, the hope is that people listening would get the bug and and follow up on it and and quit spending their time as west pointed out you know being oh woe is me and and being victims and and start being uh 
you know, entrepreneurs and innovators and doers. Well, I I like that. Now, you know, Lance, could we, uh, just uh, being members of this board, develop a letter that goes to the city of, of uh, Flint or to the Chamber of Commerce, basically Chamber of Commerce, um, and ask them to consider this because we have all of the resources. We have people who, with the technology, with the training, we have the engineers and the computer specialists, and we have the colleges and universities, and all of that to support this idea of bringing in the technology company to build chips here. I do have it. I testified before the redistricting commission, I guess they're called. I made that point. You know, Flint has some outstanding educational facilities here. Uh, Kettering, if it had a doctoral program, would be the MIT of the Midwest. It's not for lack of resources here. Uh-huh. It's it's a there's a lack of. I don't know. There's leadership. Political will. There's a lack of leadership. Yeah, we're seeing. You, you know, the we're city seeing it. Pass the first preliminary bouts, so you can't discuss anything of merit because you've got fist fights and Eric Mays has to be taken out and all this stuff. It's, it's you know, crazy. You mentioned the educational institutions. I think one one thing we missed that could have really been a big asset here with the water crisis is with the the, the three major colleges with U of M, Mott, and Kettering. If they had formed some kind of a water consortium to evaluate water, to offer solutions for cities with water problems, we could have become really kind of a leader in how to fix the problem rather than the, the victim of it. We did a little bit. I mean, there were, there were some people at the... There was an students. initiative started, Paul, and, and it, ended yeah. up, it ended up being um, sort of championed or... or, or uh, carried on, implemented uh, by Wayne State, and then somebody in the state bureaucracy um, dumped Wayne State for an out-of-state consulting firm, or it was either out-of-state or out-of-country consulting firm, and they just um, pushed Wayne State right off the edge of the earth. Yeah, and like I say, we, we, we had resources that could have done something like that. I'm not sure exactly how, but I think, and Henry's got some expertise in the area, too. The possibilities were there in light of the water crisis, but uh, it, it just became a crisis and rather than an opportunity. And, you know, we have uh, other areas around the donut here that have the population, the money, the political will, and all of that to embrace something new, something different that would grow wealth in this area. Davidson is one. Flushing is another. Grand Blanc, uh, you could leave Grand Blanc out because it already has its riches, but there's Clio and Goodrich and all of those areas that are surrounded. And all of these, these areas have the GM money invested in most of them. Most of that money is invested in institutions in Flint. But there are people who work for General Motors who earned hundreds of thousands of dollars who still have that money invested in properties. And perhaps you get uh, get a company here and we could find some of that money and maybe offer it as investment to uh, people like 
that would bring this technology company to Davidson or something like itself. But we do need that. That will help uh, the area survive. You got to remember, this was a very important area. It put the world on wheels, and so we've done a lot. We have a great legacy. True. And, yeah, it's, we can it's still a very important area. We don't have to deal with the culture of the city of Flint politics. We can use other areas around it, or we can go to a metropolitan form of government. How, how do you change that, Henry? How do you change the city of Flint politics when you've got people in office that can't even have a meeting and talk about serious issues without getting inflamed emotional outbursts and you know slamming each other's head on the desk and all this? I mean, it's like watching professional wrestling mm-hmm. running our city. We have why to learn do, to why work are these the people that, that we elect? Where, where's the intellectuals? Where's the people with vision? Where's the people who, who have a dream about what this city once was and can be again? Why, why are they not involved? Why are they shut out? Like I said, I think there's a domino effect. I think for, for anybody who's got the ability, they take a look at the council and says, why would I want to run for city council and join that circus? They just decide to go somewhere else and do something different. People who, I think the, as I say, there's almost a, I say a domino effect where as you get more bad behavior, it discourages people who do have the ability and the interest of doing something different. They just uh, don't want to be part of that, uh, that chaos. Well, it's like in the circus where the only act is a clown car. Yeah, right. (laughs) But I like what you brought to us, and I hope other people are listening to us today and inspired by what you offer because nobody else is offering anything. We need to to save this area for our kids. If our kids are going to be here all of their lives and grandkids and stuff like that, we need to uh, provide some kind of sustenance so that they can survive in this area. But but you have to provide some place where they can. I mean, a perfect example: the Chevy and the whole property. They turn it into a state park. Talk about an easy way out. Why couldn't we could have built a technical center in that property and just in laying the foundations, you would have dug down enough to get all the carbon or you know the pollutants out of the ground. Just digging down the basements and foundations. You could have t- taken that area right next to, you know, connecting Kettering with U of M and built a technical training center that would teach people how to, to fix robots, for instance. We talk about automations, the future. Somebody's got to fix the robots. Somebody's got to program the robots. Somebody's got to, we still have to build buildings. You know, there are opportunities right in front of us and we continue to shoot ourselves in the foot by saying, well, you know, we can't do that in here because Flint just doesn't do that kind of thing. And that's, I just cannot accept that. Well, whose this turn is a great city. Whose turn is it to get cut off now? Because I have a break coming up in about 30 uh, Obviously, seconds. it's mine again. <laughs> <laughs> but I like what you're talking, Leslie. <clears throat> we should not let this die. Guys, okay, cut we off should not let it die. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a short break, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOVLP, our voices, Radio 92.1 FM Flint. And uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well.
We'll be right back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with Wes Whitaker joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and uh, Henry Hatter. There were a couple of things uh, left over from um, <clears throat> my list of, of Michigan items before we get into the uh, national uh, headlines. Um, and one of the things we talked about a little bit at the uh, onset of the show um having to do with uh, the policy conference on Mackinac Island um, and only five of the ten declared Republican candidates for governor being invited to participate. And I wanted to give everybody a a chance to comment on that. Uh, James Craig, Perry Johnson, Ryan Kelly, Kevin Rinke, and Garrett Saldano uh, made the cut. Uh, but that means Tudor Dixon, Michael Brown, Donna Brandenburg, Ralph Reband, and Michael Markey won't be on stage with their competitors. Um, is the Detroit Chamber calling the GOP field? Did they give any reasons as to why only five were invited and the other According five were According to Ryan Kelly, they took a poll, and hmm. these were the five who ranked highest. Took a poll of who? You can okay. make a poll saying anything. I imagine, I imagine yeah. members of the Detroit Chamber, but I don't know that for sure. Well, they're the biggest and the most wealthiest part of the state. Okay? That's how it goes. But, I, but I, I'm wondering whether there was a sharp distinction between the top five and the bottom five. I mean, we've got ten people running. I mean... Each one of them could have 10% of the vote, and somebody has 8%, somebody has 11 And the so, primary yeah, I, is for candidates who aren't already front-runners. Right. It's supposed to be how they become front-runners. Yes. And if you don't get introduced to them, then it's, it's just a uh, contest of, of people whose names are already familiar. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, well, well, Rick Snyder, when he first ran, was a rather unknown name as in, in politics, at least, when he first ran as in the primary, the first time around for him. And there have been other times as well when relatively unknown names can pop up and be quite successful. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I'm surprised. And guys, we don't even know whether James Craig is on the list for the number of signature. That's right, that's true. So I, there, there's something hanky-panky about all of this. Uh, and maybe there's, uh, there's some big wheels out there that's pulling the uh, strings here because I think Tudor Dixon should have been on there as well. Well, and here's, and here's the thing. You mentioned James Craig, and that was the other thing I wanted to bring up because uh, it's, it's, the story's a little, little goofy. Um, Craig has acknowledged possible fraud by signature gatherers for his nominating petition, but says Craig's name should still appear on the uh, August primary ballot um, because there were still enough signatures for him to qualify. In any event, it's... The the question that I had that, that I thought we might consider for a moment or two is, has the pendulum between policy and process become stuck on process 
Mm. in American politics. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, if what you just said has anything to do with affirmative affirmative action, I'm against it. Period. Well, I'm, I'm thinking here. No, no, Henry. No, let, no. Let me, let me, uh, let me well, straighten it out. Yeah, let Later me, in another way. Let me redefine. But I don't the, like the sounds of it. Let me redefine the question. What I'm saying is, is that very often in political campaigns, you spend some time talking about policy issues, what you stand right, okay. for, and then there are things that are all process based. Um, you know, do you, uh, for example? Um, election fraud issues and uh, signatures, and filing deadlines, filing, like yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. residency requirements, and you know all of those kinds of things. And in in a political campaign, you expect some of the process questions to come up, and you expect issue things to come up. And there's sort of a pendulum that goes back and forth. We're going to talk a little bit about policy. We're going to talk a little bit about process. What I'm asking is, have we got completely stuck on the horse race part of this and not the governing part of mm. American politics? I think so. You know, on that Absolutely. point, I was struck by here in Flint, how many elections have we had where we end up in court again, somebody squabbling about if somebody missed a filing deadline, or they don't live in the in the ward, or their signatures are filed up, and we have to have a judge settle the issue. I mean, it seems like almost every election we have here in Flint revolves in some part around those kind of process issues, rather than who's going to be a good candidate for city council or mayor or something else. It's it, it, it's quite true. You might be close to defining this as practices rather than process and policies because people don't pay any attention to that. They pay attention to more to practices. And you do a candidate a great disservice if the public believes that this candidate is given something that he did not earn or did not, uh, did, did not win in some other way. But if... if uh, if there's a if there's a lack of approval by the voters to put him on the the Craig on the you know on the list to approve him as a candidate, then you should that's that's where it should die. Otherwise, that would be waiting for that to be solved down the road. You're kicking the can down the road. We need to resolve that quickly. I think we had, were there other candidates besides right Craig? Go ahead. That's part of our problem right now in dealing with the behavior of some people who rebuff uh, come making the country come together socially and racially and all of that. We need to put some of these things behind us. Yeah, I mean, it makes people very cynical about politics, yeah. and politics and public service yeah. in general. That they figure, as well, it's just a game for those folks who are who are playing the game, and the rest of us are going to yeah. opt out. And you see that. With declining voter turnout, people are just cynical about it all. We got to clean that up. Yeah, everybody should when, learn that way. There. Re remember when uh, Mike Dukakis was uh, the nominee for the Democrats running for president, and um, somebody leaked a story about um, a a convict. Was it Willie? Oh yes, yes. Um, Remember the ad that that H. W. Bush ran? The um, gosh, what was his name now? It's a good question. 
I can't. Well, I, yeah, keep, he, I keep. I keep wanting to say Willie oh. Horton, but I. But I. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's I right. Yeah, yeah, Willie yeah. Horton, and he was released early or had. He was part of an early release program. And then went out committed a crime, and he murdered yeah. someone. Right. And at the time that commercial was running, um, I was uh, visiting with family and my my niece, who was about ten or twelve at the time. Um, saw this ad and said, oh, I would never vote for that Dukakis guy. He lets murderers out of jail. <laughs> yes, right. And, and, and I, I, was, I was really moved by that and, and the power, number one, of negative ads, but also the fact that this had nothing to do with her understanding or learning about the the thing that happened that that let this guy out and you know maybe dozens of other people who didn't go out and right right and you know i and i was thinking this child is not learning anything about issues or governance or or american politics it's just that if you say bad things about people, people won't like them. Yeah. Well, you know, unfortunately, what's true about that, that child is true about a lot of voters. I mean, most, most voters don't follow politics, you know, 24-7. They, at best, tune in the last week or two before the, the, the election day. And so, yeah, ads like that, unfortunately, they work. Uh, but, yeah, well, I recall that They read well. the headlines. Or that, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I'm just going to say that you know earlier this morning uh, during the first hour of the show I interviewed Ryan Kelly the the first in what I hope will be a series of all ten of the candidates uh, the GOP candidates in the primary for governor here in Michigan and I commented to him and and I'll share it with everyone else he as part of his campaign put together a a single sheet. 100-day plan that talks about all of his positions and the things that he would try to address at one day, at 30 days, at 60 days, 90 days, 100 days. And if whether you agree with him or not, there is written down, you know, in, in a real easy-to-read uh, one sheet, you know, just fact sheet, just bullet points mm-hmm. of where he stands. And I, I, and I told him, I said, you know, kudos to you, because I've interviewed a lot of candidates who could not articulate this well, the things they stand for. And again, whether you agree with them or not, they're there. You can make that determination based on where he really stands. He's not going to get elected and then all of a sudden decide it's time for, you know, a, a more casual open carry law. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Now, as I say, unfortunately, that's, I mean, candidates often have those websites or the, or the, or the, the, the bullet point sheets, but so many voters, they'll see a 30-second ad and that decides how they're going to vote. Um, and, and maybe but, I had like a Willie Horton had. But, you know, is it realistic to to put down all the things that you uh, are going to do in straightforward forward 
language and be able to accomplish those in 100 days yeah. without uh, some exceptions because once you lay out an idea, the idea splits up and goes radially around the world. Everybody has a different vision and they don't all come together and drive that point. So, um, I well, I think it's, we can compliment uh, the candidate for that, but that is not always realistic. Thinking about uh, Joe Biden and all the things that he wanted to accomplish, uh, he may not have had any idea of wanting to accomplish those, or maybe the real uh, definitive reason uh, for the idea was is still unknown. So uh, and we, we don't have to share the truth with them. We just share <laughs> whatever we think people will buy. Yeah. You know, well, here's here's a, a different sort of um, part of this same conversation. A top Trump appointee at the U.S. State Department met on January 6th, 2021, with two activists who were pushing false claims uh, that the 2020 presidential election was stolen. The meeting took place on the same day that thousands of Donald Trump supporters descended on the U.S. Capitol. It also occurred as allies of the former president were advocating for Trump to use his presidential powers and seize election equipment in the name of national security, citing theories that voting machines had been compromised by foreign adversaries as a pretext. Robert Destro a law professor at Catholic University of America who served as an assistant secretary of state during the Trump administration confirmed to CNN that he met with the two activists on January 6th around the same time as the chaos was unfolding on Capitol Hill. The two activists who met with Destro, Colorado podcaster Joe Altman and Michigan lawyer Matthew DiPerno, who is currently mm -hmm. the candidate for attorney general, had been working behind the scenes to help promote Trump's election claims in the lead-up to January 6th, and both have previously alluded to high-level meetings with officials at the State Department around that time. Why would a member of the State Department be taking political meetings? Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't seem like that should be. That just doesn't seem like it should be on his itinerary. In fact, it, ought, it seemed like something he ought to consciously avoid, considering his other role. Well, remember, you know, uh, all the the commotion that was made during Hillary Clinton's run for the White House when Bill Clinton met with a former oh yes cabinet sure. official in an airplane on a tarmac yep. somewhere, and all the the commotion that was raised about that and it was improper right you know yeah but <laughs> this seems that's like practice guys that's not policy <laughs> or um otherwise that's practice anyway, those are real practices i just i just wondered if anybody else thought that it was inappropriate for someone from the state department to be talking uh you know politics with activists and and forget the backdrop, you know, and all the chaos on Capitol Hill. Would yeah. that, would that meeting, you know, have have been appropriate at any time? 
I think that you could have been held in court uh, doing that. A person that sits in a policy position talking to a person uh, that's an activist, that's ugly. But it's sure. like the federal government just does whatever it wants to do, and they don't care about what the American people think. They just do whatever they want to do. Department of Health and Human Services is sending people checks. For what? So they can maintain their standard of living. What? That's not part of the government's job. No. They're, bu they're buying votes. They're trying to say, don't look at the incompetence of the president. Look at this shiny object. Well, being, being well someone who has a, uh, a standard of living that could use some maintenance, <laughs> I'm, 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 you know, I, I like the shiny objects. Um, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll get all those public service ads on the Tom Sumner show soon. There you <laughs> go. There you Damn go. It, somebody's got to pay for it. That's right. Somebody's got to pay for it. Well, and it's usually us. Well, HHS is okay with me if they want to pay for it. I'm fine. Um, no, we're the ones that are paying for it. Yeah, I, I know that. Oh, yeah. And, and Wes, that's a point I bring up whenever people talk about state or federal money. It's all our dollars anyway. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether it's coming but, from the feds or the state or local government. It's all coming out of our taxes. But but there there's a protocol that that, that money is used for. It's to go to the most needy. Not to those yeah. greedy, you guys got to back That's not always the way it works. The most yeah. needy, yeah. But sometimes they've got the best lobbyists in, in in Washington or in Lansing. If they're the ones who get it. Yeah. I had somebody on Facebook say, "Hey, did you get your your check from the DHHS?" And I go, "What check? Oh, they're giving away checks to, for people to maintain their standard of living. What what about work?" <laughs> You know, when did that not become the way you maintain your standard of living? There's nothing in the Constitution that says the government owes us a standard of living. That's crazy. Right. They've gone insane. I think we should fence off Washington, D.C. and declare it a National Institute for Mental Health or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, a... Uh a super PAC supporting Mehmet Oz, the celebrity surgeon and prominent candidate in uh, Pennsylvania's Republican Senate primary, released an attack ad that wildly distorts the past remarks and positions of Kathy Barnett, a party rival, who was surging in late campaign polls. The super PAC, American Leadership Action, tries to depict the right-wing Barnett, who ran unsuccessfully for the U.S. House of Representatives in 2020, as a crazy advocate of liberal positions. To do so, though, the super PAC misleadingly truncated Barnett's uh, past comments about race and policing and added inaccurate introductions to these shortened clips. The primary takes, uh, took place yesterday. Uh, the super PAC did not respond uh, to CNN for a request uh, or a requested comment on Friday. Uh, apparently, the super PAC doesn't want anyone to pay any attention to that man behind the curtain. But um, yeah. but the uh, that race in Pennsylvania is uh, too close to call between the two 
Yeah, that's what I've heard this candidates. morning. Yeah. I, and I don't know if that has changed in the hours since I looked at it before the show this morning. Yeah, no, I, I haven't seen anything else since then myself. Ours is ahead by two points now. Hmm. Who is? Um, Dr. Oz. Two-point advantage? Yeah, it's yeah. getting a little wider. That's not quite beyond recount territory, but it's getting mm -hmm. there, potentially. So I think it was it was kind of a mixed night last night for Trump in terms of the endorsements. He won some, lost some. This is the numbers I heard this morning, at least. So I'm not sure what what to conclude out of all of that. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I don't know if anybody had any thoughts on on Pennsylvania and the fact that um, you know even even within the the Republican Party, the race was. Incredibly close. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, though, I think nearly all of them within the Republican Party claim to be Trump loyalists, even the ones he didn't endorse. And so, but in terms of of his endorse Trump's endorsements, I, uh, what I saw so far was it was kind of a mixed bag. He he did win some, but he lost a few too. And I'm not sure where the numbers finally come out, but. Uh, a mixed bag about his his victories as far as endorsements, but the reality was that within the Republican Party, so many, even if they're not endorsed, you know, claim to be Trump supporters. I, uh, I, I maybe Henry, you can clear this up, but I, I saw some story in, of the ten uh, Republican nominees for governor. At least nine of them claim to be strong Trump supporters. One a little more marginal, I gather. But uh, nobody's nobody's backing away from Trump at all. No, no, they're not. Yeah. <clears throat> and no, um, I asked Ryan Kelly about that this morning on the show, and and in fact, the question I posed to him was: Had he been endorsed by Trump, and would he endorse Trump in 2024? And he said, Trump has made no endorsements in the gubernatorial race at this point. Um, but he would support him fully mm. in 2024. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I said that at least some story I saw suggested that nine out of the ten Republicans were, were relatively strong Trump supporters. Yeah. There was one who was a little more marginal, but even he didn't announce them. He was just somewhat neutral on the issue uh, of, the, of the ten candidates. Well, I don't know if I have time to squeeze this in before we go to break, but for the first time in 50 years, a congressional hearing was held Tuesday to discuss the government's finding on unidentified flying objects and other unidentified aerial, aerial phenomena. However, it ended... And on, that note, and on that note, we've got to go to a break. So let's cut you off, Tom. <laughs> that sounds like an X-File there. <laughs> well, it's such a great lead-in. If it's taken 50 years to admit there are UFOs, how long will it take to admit that something is flying them? <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. Maybe that, that may explain the Flint City Council. <laughs> <laughs> we can tell you where the aliens are. They're sitting in the city hall. Yes, you can tell where they are. They're right around us. <laughs> well, Wes was uh, right to cut me off when he did, because we do, in fact, have a break coming up. Uh, we're going to let our broadcast partners at WFOV 92.1 LPFM Flint squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then we will return 
for the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program with the X-Files. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year, the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee. Health plan with blood technology. My community college is pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. 
Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. It'd be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov slash AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. In that segment we call uh, The X-Files, where we focus on weird and wacky news that are perhaps weirder and wackier than mainstream news, but not always. Um, A Florida man is facing charges of misusing 911 after he allegedly placed repeated calls asking law enforcement officers to arrest President Joe Biden. (laughs) Jacob Philbeck, 29, was arrested on May 8th after making a series of calls to the Pinellas County 911 system requesting that Biden be arrested and former drug kingpin Joaquin El Chapo Guzman be freed according to an arrest report obtained by the smoking gun. Police said Philbeck was uh, initially told that the information he was providing was a non-emergency situation and was warned not to make similar 911 calls. Philbeck apparently didn't get the message because he called cops again, saying once again that President Biden needed to be placed in prison and El Chapo needed to be freed. Following the three calls to 9-11, deputies decided to pay Philbeck a visit around 6 a.m. At the time they stopped by, Philbeck was on the phone with 9-1-1, but that call was cut short by his arrest. Uh, <laughs> would you think of 9-1-1 as a place to call to arrange a coup or a hit? <laughs> if you were high. <laughs> right, yeah, I could crack be. all night. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have a hunch from the Florida 911 guys get a lot of those calls. <laughs> that's for this Florida, you know. Yeah, that's right. one of my that's one of my favorite Florida man stories. Yeah. Um, well, when I lived in Pinellas County, and, and there used to be a joke that the newscasters would lean with a story saying, "Only in Florida." And you knew right away it was going to be like some man tried to mate with an alligator or something. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy, insane stuff. Well, this this one uh, it could almost qualify as a Florida man story, but it happened in Columbus, Ohio. A frightening moment occurred in Columbus last week when a speeding Tesla 
blew through a red light, jumped a curb, drove over a planter, went airborne over a staircase, and then crashed through the glass wall of a building. The 2020 Tesla Model S ended up inside a meeting room at the Greater Columbus Convention Center, according to the Columbus Dispatch. The vehicle was estimated to be traveling at about 70 miles per hour. Franz uh, Jules, the 63-year-old driver, was taken to a hospital for evaluation. No one else was hurt. Jules told police he lost control of the brakes and was unable to slow the car down, according to the dispatch. A witness told police it looked like he sped up to beat a traffic light. Jules was cited for failure to control the vehicle. The National Transportation Safety Board is investigating. Who will get cited when cars are driving themselves? Ah, good question. Yeah, yeah. Got me. No one. How did he speed up if the car was in control? Yeah, I don't. How did he speed up? Have you ever driven in a Tesla S? No. You put your foot down and the thing takes off like a rocket. Well, you, you I can't really judge were... because there's no sound. Okay. You know, when you push the accelerator on your regular internal combustion car, you hear the engine roar, right. and you know, okay, you're going. I thought you had to have certain steps to make that happen. This is, you know, just not no, take over like that, but there are certain... They take off like a shot. Oh, yeah. I thought you had to have some procedures to shut down the automated system or tell it something. Well, last, last week we had kind of a feel-good story at the end of the X-Files, and I, I stumbled across another one that's uh, appropriately unique to fit on the X-Files, but a little bit upbeat and kind of a fun story. A Connecticut state trooper who is a native of Poland got quite the surprise while responding to an SUV with a flat tire Wednesday. A passenger in the vehicle happened to be former Polish President Lech Walesa. State police said Trooper <laughs> Lucas Liepert arrived to the call in Tolland and was greeted by Walesa, who had spoken in Hartford on Tuesday as part of his U.S. tour advocating for aid for refugees who have fled Ukraine during the war with Russia. Liepert, 35, who came to the U.S. when he was 18, told the Hartford Current that he spoke with Valesa in Polish about their homeland and the anti-communist movement Valesa helped lead. It was definitely a great opportunity to meet the man who had a voice during those times, Liepert said. It was definitely a great experience. Valenza, 78, led the nationwide solidarity movement in Poland in the 1980s that eventually toppled Poland's communist leaders through an election in 1989. He received a Nobel Prize in 1983 and served as Poland's first popularly elected president from 1990 to 1995. He is a strong critic of Poland's current right-wing government. A vehicle service worker changed the tire and Valenza continued on his way down I-84. One of his next stops was an event in Boston on Monday. Um, is this feel-good story proof that it really is a small world after all? <laughs> I guess so. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it does. 
Imagine that, um, you know, being from Poland and having left Poland. Yeah. At the time when Valenza was, you know, right at the peak of of his uh, accomplishments. And then fixing his tire. Yeah, and then, yeah. And then pulling up to him, you know, on a road in uh, what 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 state was this? Connecticut. Just just kind of fun when those things happen. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that wraps yep. it up for uh, the X-Files and uh, for Armchair Politics on today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Any final thoughts in the remaining two minutes? I was just going to mention in terms of the last story, Valencia did speak in Flint about 15 years ago at, at Mott for part of the Ballinger Lecture Series. I'm going to guess it was about 15 years ago, but something about that ballpark. So yeah, he's been in he's been in Flint at least once. Well, it had to be 15 years ago because if it'd been 14 or 13, um, there's a good chance he would have been on the show. <laughs> True. Yeah, <laughs> I would have gone after him. On <laughs> I would just like to encourage all the listeners to go to conventionofstates.com and see how you can help change the mess on the Potomac constitutionally. Any uh, any final thoughts, Henry? No, I, I just appreciate having our guest today and all of the great conversation he brought and what I learned and how I was inspired by his recommendations for us to look at uh, how to bring new businesses into Dennity County. Oh, yeah, before the before we go, Henry, we, we should wish Henry a happy birthday a couple of days early. It's coming up, isn't it, Henry? Absolutely. Happy oh, is it coming up? <laughs> yeah. Well, happy Thank you. Birthday, happy birthday, Henry. to me. Thank you. You guys are my friends, and this is why I enjoy my life every day. It's because of you guys. Well, I've known you since 1994, and I, I'm proud to call you my friend. Thank you. Yeah, it was good seeing you at the Republican State Convention, by the way. <laughs> yep. Hey, this was, uh, I, I, I'm always surprised at how fast the time goes, and I thank you all for uh, participating. Wes Whitaker, always a treat when you can join us. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. And of course, good to have you, Wes. Yeah. Of course, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki. Paul, it's always uh, a pleasure. Always good to be here. And Henry, it's always great to have you with us as well. Thank, thank you, Tom, for putting up with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, if if yeah. if it gets to be too much, I just cut you off and move okay. on. Okay. No. <laughs> I realize that. <laughs> no, that wraps it up for today's edition of the show. But uh, join me tomorrow for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And, of course... Uh, every Wednesday, join us for Armchair Politics. That's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories, letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the uh, living room. But as I mentioned, I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. So have a great day, uh, and uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Hopefully, you'll join me tomorrow. And in the meantime, good night, everybody. a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.